This is a long-anticipated part of Genesis because there have been many repetitions of the promise that Abraham would have a son. He would have a particular son through whom the covenant's promises would be fulfilled through his son and, of course, his offspring. Um, But key to all of this being fulfilled was the birth of this son uh, to be named Isaac. And in this passage, we have his birth recounted. Isaiah, sorry, uh, Genesis then, 21, I'll be reading verses 1 through 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring." So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his wife took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, we thank you for your promises and the fulfillment of your promises. We pray that you would build us up in faith and patience, that we might like these saints of old, be heirs of the promises. We pray that you would strengthen us, convict us, teach us, O Lord, through this, your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Rejoice, laugh, for the barren woman has given birth. The child of promise has been born. God raises up the lowly. He exalts them by his grace and by his power. Those who wait on the Lord shall not be put to shame. Not by might, not by human power, not by the will of man or the will of the flesh, but by the promise of God there is a future for the people of God. By the promise of God there is a, a work of blessing and salvation. It is the child of promise who is the heir of Abraham. Now, men and women often try to seek to save themselves, to work salvation by their own hand. They come up with schemes of their own, like Abraham and Sarah had done with Hagar, trying to find a way of their own to procure the blessings of the covenant. Man may try to save himself by doing good, by trying to earn his salvation, by seeking to balance their bad deeds with their good deeds, seeking a righteousness that comes from the law. Man may try to save himself by making a great name for himself, by building great towers like the men of Babel did, rivaling God. But labor as they might, the flesh shall fail, and the curse shall still remain, and all of man's works shall be scattered. It's only through the covenant of God, through his promises of grace, and through his mighty arm, that blessing shall be restored. And we find this in this passage. So not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. In this passage, we find the birth of the promised heir of Abraham. We find the conflict between the two children and their mothers. And we find God's compassion towards his children in the desert. So here in this text, there is reason for joy, uh, for encouragement to patience. Uh, for God will in time bless his people in accord with his promises. So first, look at the first seven verses. Uh, the promised child at last is born, and he is born with laughter. In fact, that is his name, Isaac. He laughs. He comes with laughter. And verses one through four in particular are just filled with fulfillment. Uh, it, it drives it home time and again by saying, as the Lord said, as he had spoken, as he had commanded, as he had spoken. You know, the, vis the Lord visits as he had said. The Lord had said, I will return to you, and here he does. Uh, not necessarily visibly, but by his power. He had come and visited Sarah, and he did to her as uh, he had promised. As he had promised, she conceived. And then uh, the bearing of Abraham's son, quote, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Notice it's God's promise to Abraham that's referenced. Of course, he also promised this to Sarah, too, in chapter 18. But even back in 17, he had said, about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Then the naming of the son that Isaac, sorry, that Sarah bore, uh, Abraham names him Isaac, as the Lord had uh, commanded him. And uh, so they, that is fulfilled as well. He indeed is named Isaac. And then the circumcising of Isaac on the eighth day, quote, as God commanded him. That word is fulfilled now. 
uh, as well. Uh, the first one that is recorded to have actually been circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, there might have been other people born in the house um, circumcised before this on the eighth day, but uh, this is the first one mentioned. He is circumcised in accordance with the words of the covenant, uh, the old covenant, on the eighth day. So even though Sarah had always been barren, unable to conceive even in her youth, although the way of women had now ceased with her, although she was now 90 years old, yet God gave them a son from their own bodies, the promised child, the heir of the covenant blessing, the one on whom all the hopes of the covenant were set. Uh, He did not come by the way of nature. He did not come by a way of their own devising. Uh, He came as a miracle, as a work of God's grace. Really, all the fulfillment of the covenant promises uh, depended upon this child being born. Uh, First of all, because, you know, the offspring can't inherit the land unless there's offspring. Uh, The the nations cannot be blessed through the offspring unless there's offspring. And, of course, we know that through Isaac, uh, not only was the nation of Israel uh, descended, so that there was a people that was vast and numerous, a people of God, but also through Isaac, Jesus Christ himself was born. And it was through Jesus that, of course, uh, all of these blessings flowed. Uh, the blessing instead of curse. Now, Abraham named the boy Isaac as directed. He laughs. And in verse 6, Sarah reflects upon the meaning of this. It's no longer a laughter of disbelief, but a laughter of joy and surprise. But surprise in a good way, a good surprise of delight. She says that God had given her laughter. God has made laughter for me uh, through the birth of Isaac. And others who heard this would laugh over her or laugh with her. Laugh as they heard that this 90-year-old woman who had been waiting for this day had, had given birth to Isaac, had given birth to a child. You know, laughter is usually caused by joy, by wonder, or by surprise. Something catches you off guard, makes you laugh or delight, that you just really love something and, and start laughing. Well, here was matter for joy for wonder, for surprise, for delight, as they looked at this little baby that had been born, that had been promised of God. So when we hear of it, we too should laugh. You know, rejoice with Sarah for the birth of Isaac, to rejoice at God's work. Delight, at least smile, right? (laughs) Take delight in what God has done As Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Sarah goes on in verse 7 to say, Who would have said this to Abraham, that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have predicted this? Who would have told Abraham, You know, Sarah, she's going to nurse your children? No, no man would have said this. It's a you know, rhetorical question. But it was the case. She had born a child. Of course, while there was no man who would have said this, there was one who had told her this, a messenger of the Lord himself. And, uh, of course, it was God who had spoken and who had done this thing. Notice also that Sarah nursed her son. I mean, she was 90 years old. 
Uh, She was wealthy. She had servants. She could have handed the baby off to others. But no, she had waited 90 years for this moment. Uh, She took delight in caring for this child. And this Sarah sets an example uh, for all the daughters of Sarah uh, to be caring mothers for their children, to rejoice in the blessing of the Lord. The Lord has designed women for this blessing and this bond to share their very selves with their children. As Calvin says that those whom God makes mothers, he also makes nurses. This is by the design of God. In this way, infants receive their mother's comfort and love along with their food. So let not mothers look down upon what he calls this sacred bond of nature. Let them personally care for an infant, even though it requires devotion and sacrifice. It's a sacrifice worth making. It was one that Sarah had longed for for 90 years. So may mothers cherish this blessed duty to nurse their young, to fulfill it if they're physically able, and may fathers work to care for their wives, you know, so that they're able to, to take delight in caring for their young children. In, in addition to this, we find in the delight of Sarah in this newborn baby, Isaac, a type uh, this is not the first time we hear of a woman and her offspring, right? Can you think of some earlier passage where a woman and her offspring are kind of significant? Uh, Eve uh, was a woman, and she was to be the mother of the living. There was to be enmity between the woman and her offspring and the serpent and his offspring. Sarah is a new Eve, uh, even as we might say Abraham is like a new Adam. Uh, she is the mother of the living, She, as such, is a type of the church as well. That's one reason why we read Isaiah 54, which speaks of Jerusalem or, you know, the people of God personified as a mother, as a mother of children, a mother who would give birth to many children, even though she had been cast off and barren for a time, that she would have more children than than the others. Like Sarah, the church is a mother, the mother of God's covenant people. Like Sarah, the church gives birth, not by the way of the flesh, not by the way of nature, but by God's promise and by God's grace. And that should cause us to, to delight in that, to give thanks, to laugh, uh, to see to, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, uh, because this is a work of God. Like Sarah, the church becomes a mother of a multitude. As Isaiah says, Enlarge the tent. Stretch forth the stakes. You're going to need more room. This household's going to get big. The children are going to inherit the nations. They're going to people the desolate cities. This is big. This is a big deal. This is the promises made to Abraham and to Sarah. And this is still the promise to the church. Like Sarah, the church may seem barren for a time and yet shall be exalted. Uh, It is good to wait upon the Lord, to wait upon the Lord through persecution, uh, through times in which the people of God seem small, in which there's but 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal, uh, and yet to wait upon the Lord, that he will revive his church yet, that even the dust of the church is precious 
in the eyes of the saints. And there will come a time, as Psalm 102 says, in which he will raise up his people. He will raise up his church and so hope in the work of the Lord, because it is of his grace and not our own power. Like Sarah, the church shall nourish and care for its children. Uh, Sarah nursed even in her old age, little Isaac. And so Isaiah 66, speaking of uh, the church, the people of God, says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. The church provides comfort and care and nourishment uh, through the spiritual milk of the word uh, to raise up children of God, uh, who are also her children. And like Sarah, even as you find in that passage from Isaiah, the church's blessedness shall be the cause of rejoicing and joy. Those who have mourned for the church's barrenness also should rejoice at the church's blessedness, to rejoice with her, to let her be your delight, your be, her be your desire to see her good, to not forget her. If I forget her, let my tongue cleave to my mouth's roof, as Psalm 137 says. But no, let her be a cause of, of rejoicing and laughter. And so like Sarah, the church is a mother, a mother by God's grace, and ought to be honored as a mother, uh, but also uh, to give thanks uh, at what God does through the church, give thanks to God, for he is the one who gives these good things, who raises up children of promise, right? So an heir is born, a child of promise is the heir of Abraham, but you'll remember that Abraham also has another son. Remember him? Ishmael. Interestingly, his name's never explicitly mentioned, but the son of the slave woman, the son of Hagar, uh, but also the son of Abraham. And in verses 8 through, thir- uh, 8 through 14, we find some conflict arising between the son by the way of nature and the son by the way of promise. The slave woman and her son are sent out. So verses 8 through 14, they describe the outbreak of conflict. And through this conflict, God makes it plain that it is the child of promise who is the heir of Abraham. Uh, Something with significance not just in that day, but even for today. That not all who are physically descended from Abraham are uh, true sons of Abraham, but it's the child of promise who are the true sons and heirs of Abraham. So the conflict breaks out at a party. And what are they celebrating at the party? Did you catch that? I'm I'm sure you know it's the the weaning, right, of the child. The weaning of the child. That's where the the baby has grown up to such a point where the baby doesn't need the mother's milk anymore and and is cut off from that, uh, is weaned, has matured, has grown, has become a little more independent. And the day the baby was weaned, uh, they had a celebration. It actually calls it not just a feast, a great feast that Abraham throws in celebration of this milestone for his son, Isaac. He had survived infancy. That's one reason it was a big deal, especially in the ancient world. They had survived those earliest and most vulnerable days, but also was taking a step towards greater maturity. 
It's good to celebrate milestones of maturity. Uh, It's good to celebrate. We might not have weaning parties, but we have birthdays and graduation parties and things of that sort. It's good to give thanks to God for his care for our children and to seek his blessing upon them and to rejoice with your friends and family and community. Uh, There are time for feasts. Now, at this time, they typically nursed their children longer in uh, ancient world than we do today. So he might have been two or three years old at the time. We know that Ishmael was about 14 years old when Isaac was born. So Ishmael might have been, say, 16 years old at the time of this feast. So we have little toddler Isaac and, and uh, teenager Ishmael. And at that party, Sarah saw Ishmael laugh. The laughing sure comes up quite a bit. It's, it's uh, in this text. But um, this laughter is not the same as Sarah's laughter. It's not the laughter of, uh, of rejoicing and giving thanks. It's not even the laughter necessarily of, uh, of uh, disbelief like uh, Sarah laughed. But it's more the, the laughing of mocking or disparaging uh, from both Sarah's reaction and from the particular form of this verb, uh, it's evident that this was a mocking or disparaging kind of laughter that was directed at Isaac himself. Uh, You can imagine this uh, teenage son now kind of ridiculing, making fun of uh, little Isaac. In Galatians 4, Paul describes it as a kind of persecution that Ishmael uh, persecuted Isaac. Uh, Sometimes mocking can cut just as deeply as other forms of persecution. Some people are are mocked out of their convictions uh, and uh, begin to give way just because of the ridicule of others. So it's not a a light form of, of persecution, though it's lighter than others. And Isaac was the heir of Abraham's promises. So to dishonor him was a serious thing. Now, Sarah perceived a threat to the promised heir. She saw a rivalry developing between the two sons and probably could see where this might lead. She saw Ishmael did not respect Isaac uh, and would, in fact, rival him for the inheritance. And so Sarah went to her husband and said, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Abraham was very displeased at this. Not just displeased, very displeased. Not because he was attached to Hagar. Uh, he, he was devoted to Sarah as his wife. It seems he probably learned that lesson. But he was attached to his son Ishmael. He was displeased because of Ishmael. He didn't want to send away his son. But God then directed Abraham to do as Sarah said. And God assured Abraham that the Lord himself would care for this son. That even though Abraham would have to send him away, that the Lord would be his protector and would make him into a nation. Abraham was to cast out the slave woman and her son so that Ishmael would not endanger the inheritance of Isaac. Because through Isaac would your offspring be named. Uh, It would be through him that your covenant heirs, your heirs, your offspring, they would be reckoned as your children. The children of promise would be reckoned as Abraham's offspring. Uh, as a side note, know that it's sometimes right to do what your wife proposes. We've had a couple passages in Genesis where it's, it wasn't a good idea. Adam 
uh, sinned in listening to his wife and eating of the forbidden fruit. Uh, Adam, uh, uh, Abraham also listened to his wife Sarah and took Hagar, and that was a wrong thing to do. But in this case, God says, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Now, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. A husband has to uh, use his judgment and listen to what his wife says and then make the call and take responsibility for that decision. And so in this case, Sarah was right. Sarah was perceptive. Sarah, uh, her advice was what God wanted Abraham to do. And so Abraham obeyed promptly. He rose up early in the morning. He didn't linger even though it probably was a test for him. We'll see a test next chapter, right, with his other son, Isaac. Well, here he's tested with regard to Ishmael. Will, will he obey the Lord, trust the Lord, that the Lord will take care of Ishmael and send him away? And he does so. He rises early in the morning. He provides them with water and with bread. And he sends out, probably in the cooler part of the day as well, uh, Hagar and her son, Ishmael. And they wander in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, In Galatians 4, Paul saw an analogy from Genesis 21 for situation in his own day, a foreshadowing of it. Um, What Paul describes in Galatians 4 is that the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, and that corresponds to what he called the present Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that was present in his day. Now, the earthly Jerusalem was still under the law and in slavery with her children, Those who rejected Christ and who relied on the works of the law were relying upon the flesh, and they were proving to be slaves and not sons. But the son of the free woman was born through promise and corresponds to the Jerusalem above, to the spiritual Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that Jerusalem is free, and she is our mother. Again, also using imagery from Isaiah, speaking of uh, the, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Those who received Christ are children of promise, uh, receiving this promise by faith, born according to the Spirit, and are thus not slaves, but are sons, and are heirs, and are free, and should not go back to the yoke of slavery. Uh, To make sense of this, it's helpful to keep in mind that under the old covenant, even true sons were under a sort of bondage under the ceremonial law. Uh, they were treated as sons under age. And when sons are under age, they're not that much different than, than the slaves under guardians and under regulations. But with the coming of Christ, one either progressed to the new covenant and the freedom of mature heirs, or they clung to the old covenant without Christ as a way of works-based salvation and proved, in fact, to be slaves and not heirs. And so these two ways... Paul sees as represented in in Hagar and the uh, son of the slave woman who did not inherit and the child born of promise, the son of the free woman who would inherit. And he says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's us. So Isaac is like a type of, of us, those who believe in Christ. And even as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so Paul could point to the persecution of Christians by the unbelieving Jewish establishment. It is common for those who are of the flesh to persecute those who are of the spirit. Just as within you there is a war between the spirit and the flesh. Paul gets to that in the next chapter of Galatians. Uh, but what does scripture say? Who will remain and inherit the covenant blessings? Though the 
those according to the flesh might have a place in the visible church for a time, who, who will remain? Who will inherit? Well, Paul answers with quoting from Genesis. Cast out the slave woman and her son, but the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. Uh, they, they will not remain. It is those who are children of promise who will remain and inherit. So do not trust in the flesh. Do not trust in the power of, of your own nature and the works of the law and doing what you can achieve. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his provision of grace that you might be children of the free woman of the heavenly Jerusalem, the one who is justified and adopted as an heir, like Isaac. There's one more part to this passage, verses 15 through 21. Hagar and Ishmael are sent off, and their water runs out, and their food runs out, and they're out in the wilderness, and it looks like they're going to die. And Hagar doesn't want to see her son die, so she puts her son down under a bush, and she goes off a bow shot away, because she doesn't want to see him die. And they are miserable, and they are there, but God demonstrates his compassion in the desert. As, uh, it's by taking care of Hagar and her son. God heard the boy. Uh, why did he hear the boy? It sounds like Hagar was the one uh, calling out, and, and then God says, I heard the boy. Well, it's probably a reference to Ishmael's name, which is never mentioned in this chapter, but which means God hears and God heard. So his name kind of is in the text. God heard the boy. So he's fulfilling his promise. He's, he's fulfilling his promise to Abraham, and he's fulfilling his promise to Hagar. He's promised to both of them that he would make Ishmael into a great nation. And so he hears, he takes compassion on his misery, uh, and he uh, blesses them by revealing a well of water that was already there, opens her eyes and, and reveals to her the water for their sustenance. And so through God's blessing, Ishmael grows up, he lives in the wilderness, and he gets a calling, he becomes an expert with a bow. It's interesting, he was a bow shot away, and then he becomes an expert with the bow. Um, not sure the connection there, but he becomes an expert with the bow, and he lives out in the wilderness. This was an example of God's generosity, and it would be reason for Ishmael and for the Ishmaelites later in Moses' day and beyond to remember that their origin, their existence, was dependent upon God's mercy, the God of Abraham. And because of their connection to Abraham, they existed and were sustained, uh, just as it's true generally of, of the earth that God has left a witness to all people by filling them with good things and giving gladness to their hearts and giving them food and drink, uh, that it is of God's mercy that they exist, and therefore they ought to turn to him. I don't know Ishmael's eventual state. Did he repent or not? Um, but we do know that he returned 75 years later to help bury Abraham uh, with Isaac. Uh, but we're not told much else. But we do know that there are a couple prophecies regarding the Ishmaelite peoples in Isaiah, like Kedar and Nebaioth, not only of judgments, but also of salvation. But it's left a little ambiguous, and maybe that's on purpose. Also, the Israelites would have learned, as they were in a wilderness, as they were running out of food, that if God had so cared for Hagar, the Egyptian, and Ishmael, 
how much more would God provide for the children of Isaac, for his covenant people? How much more would he care for them? And how much more could they trust him to care for them? Will not God be compassionate upon his children? Will he not hear your cry when you are miserable? Finally, Hagar got her son a wife from her people, from Egypt, just as Abraham would get a wife for his son, Isaac, from his people. Uh, Maybe she learned this practice in his household. Both of them avoided the Canaanites. That was a good idea. Uh, And she got him married. Uh, Parents should help their children get skills for their calling, even as Ishmael learned uh, the archery with the bow. So parents should help their children get married and to uh, get married well uh, to good spouses. And not, you know, they should prevent bad marriages, but not just that, you know, to encourage them, to help them grow unto maturity, uh, even as Jeremiah says in 29 as well. Likewise, those who are single should seek their parents' counsel and consent as they seek a spouse, as we see not only with Hagar, but we'll see later with Abraham too. Calvin comments upon this saying, In saying that Hagar took a wife for Ishmael, Moses had respect to civil order. For since marriage forms a principal part of human life, it is right. In contracting it, children should be subject to their parents and should obey their counsel. This order, which nature prescribes and dictates, was, as we see, observed by Ishmael, a wild man in the barbarism of the desert. For he was subject to his mother in marrying a wife. Whence we perceive what a prejudice... Digitus monster was the Pope when he dared to overthrow this sacred right of nature. Uh, that would get us into a, a, con- a controversy during the Reformation in which the Pope said, no, you don't need the consent of your parents. And uh, so Calvin would take every moment he could in Scripture to say, no, see, you should pay attention to your parents uh, even as you grow up. Um, certainly parents, as the Westminster Assembly would say, should not withhold their consent without just cause. There's checks and balances here. Things can go wrong. But Nonetheless, you should uh, seek your parents' counsel and consent in getting married, and parents should seek to help their children to grow up. Uh, And that could look different ways in different contexts. At this point, Genesis will direct its focus back to Abraham and to Isaac, because that's where God would bring forth salvation for the nations. And he has brought salvation through Isaac, through uh, Jesus Christ, By the unexpected and supernatural power of God, an even greater birth was coming when God became man to fulfill his promises. And by him, sinners have been born to newness of life by grace. Who could have seen it coming? So let's rejoice, laugh with wonder and delight. God has given laughter to his church. So to him be glory forever. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your care for us, your compassion, your attentiveness to us, that you are our Father who is in heaven, and a Father who has bound himself to us by covenant, adopting us as heirs, heirs of everlasting life, heirs of a home with you forever in blessedness and glory. We pray that you would, by your grace, cause many to be born again, that your people might uh, people the desolate cities, 
that the tent stakes of your church might need to be extended, that you would cause the barren woman to give birth, that you would cause your church to be fruitful with a multitude, that you would extend the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would move us by a sense of your love, that we might rejoice and be glad, and in that to be at work eagerly for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.